0: Well, good morning. My name is Chris Emmons. I'm the Ross Township campus pastor, and I want to thank those of you that are watching us online for being with us this morning. Hey, I wonder if you sat down and calculated it out. How many questions a day do you think you would ask? Would you say maybe 20? Maybe it's a little more than that. Maybe it's less. I just asked my first question. Uh, How many questions would you ask? Science actually will tell you that it depends on your age, actually. This is an interesting thing. When we're younger, we are more inclined to ask questions. We're more comfortable with asking a lot of questions. Listen, I know this is true. I've got a five-year-old and eight-year-old son, okay? They ask me a lot of questions, and some of them are really good questions. Hey, Dad, what's for dinner? Hey, uh, hey, why do I have to go to bed? Why do I have to go to school? Hey, Dad, how'd they make those dinosaurs on Jurassic World? I don't know. Where does God live? Like, I get that one a lot, right? And so these are pretty good questions. They they ask good questions. Kids ask a lot of questions because they're curious. Kids are curious. Actually, they did a study some years ago that found, on average, a four-year-old, okay, a four-year-old kid asks 390 questions a day. 390 questions a day. And if you do the math, it calculates out to roughly a question every two and a half waking minutes. Now, if, you've been, if you're riding the car with my children, this is a true statistic because they pummel me with questions while I'm driving and always at the worst time, always when I'm trying to navigate someplace I've never been before. And I'm like, hey, could you be quiet for a minute? Kids are not ashamed to ask questions. They are not ashamed. And at one point, we were all like that. As we got older, though, we began to be self-conscious about our question asking. We began to say to ourselves, what if that's a dumb question, right? That's why our teachers constantly have to tell you as you get, listen, there are no dumb questions. There's some dumb questions. They're so a little secret. Okay, it's okay. So we begin to stop asking questions, and then we just start to make statements, right? We just start saying statements instead of asking questions. And see, listen to me, statements don't allow room for growth, and we struggle to connect with other people through statements. Statements are our opinions, our stances. They are the views that we have, and here's the truth. Statements are very self-centered. They're about you. Questions leave room for discussion and growth, and so we're just not good at asking questions anymore, and so this, through, through this series, we want to change that mindset a little bit, and so something fun we're going to do through this series that you may not be aware of is we want you to ask us questions, whatever you want to ask, good questions, dumb questions, whatever they be, okay? Okay? We want you to submit them. If you go to the QR code here on the screen, that's our welcome, or vwocc.com welcome for those of you watching online, there's a link there that says submit a question. You can submit whatever question you want about white oak, about faith, about unicorns. I don't care what you submitted about, okay? Just submit a question, and throughout the series, our lead pastor, Nathan Hinkle, and maybe some other staff are going to try to answer some of those questions through our weekly Momentum article. And so if you're not getting the Momentum article, it comes out on Fridays, and it's sent through your email, and it's on our website. But if you're not getting that, if you go to this forum, there's a place where you can sign up to receive that, that weekly newsletter that we send out. And so we're going to start trying to answer some of those questions. So it would be a fun thing for to see what kind of questions you guys submit for us, okay? So be, start submitting those, because we're going to start this Friday. Because there's power in asking the right questions. Questions will reveal priorities. Questions help us to learn. They help us to grow. Questions will help us to point us in the right direction. I mean, if you get lost, sometimes you got to ask where to go. And so in this series, we'll explore six great questions that Jesus asked. The questions that help reveal what people believe, the questions that help push us to discover the truth, questions that will redirect our lives. Ultimately, today, what we're going to talk about is how the right question can help give us this identity in this world. And that's our big idea for today is this. Our identity is secure because of Jesus. Jesus. And so today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. So if you would, if you've got a Bible or you've got a Bible app on your phone, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles available for you out at the Hub. We'd love for you to pick one of those up. They are free. We want to gift that to you so that you have a Bible and you're able to read along with us. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to be in verse 13 here. And here's what it says. When Jesus came to the region, and it turned the page on me again, of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So we'll stop there because we've got this interaction with Jesus, with his followers, right? It's just them together, their private moment together. And so he begins to spend time discipling them. That's what he's trying to do, teach them, right? And they're in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And so this is important, and just a little history lesson, is that this was a place that was adjacent to a shrine that was built by the Greek people to a god named Pan. And so the city actually was built near a spring, and there was a cave there that many of the Greek people believed was the entrance to the underworld. So again, this was a very Greek-centric place, very, very important to their beliefs, And so up to this point, Jesus had been going around and performing miracles, and he was ministering to the people of the region. And there were a group of people that didn't like this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees is what they were called. They didn't think very much of Jesus. And these were the religious leaders of the time. They were the Jewish religious leaders of the faith. And so they didn't like Jesus at all. And they didn't like him because he was claiming to be the son of man. And son of man is just another phrasing of a Messiah or a savior. And so that's what he was claiming to be. But, but they didn't like that because they didn't see him in that way. So there were some people of this time who had different views on who the actual Messiah was. And And so just before this, if you'd read before in Matthew, Jesus tells his followers, listen, you need to be beware of these people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You need to watch what they're teaching people because he knows that they're teaching people to base their faith upon a bunch of rules and traditions that they believe will get them into heaven. And he knows what they think of him. So he asks his followers, who do people say the Messiah is? Who is the savior that people say is coming? And, and when he asks this question, he says, who do people say the son of man is? He wants his believers to point out who other people say is going to save them. And so we can see they make this list of like John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was up during that time. Or they mention some prophets that even came before Jesus. And for many people, this, for, this was even someone who hadn't even come yet. They didn't necessarily see Jesus this way. They didn't see Jesus as a Savior. And so this is a little strange if we're believers, if the believers are here. Listen, it's strange for us. But you have to remember, they don't know the whole story yet. Not everyone knew all the details about Jesus. Some of them were going off what they heard from other people. Some of them had just this short glimpse of Jesus in a moment. Maybe some of them knew something special. They knew Jesus was special and they knew he was doing great things, but they didn't really know how special he was. Maybe some of you are sitting here today and you're experiencing that in your life. You're in one of those categories. Listen, the disciples knew Jesus in a deep way, which is why Jesus then asked them the next question here in verse 15. He says, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Well, that's a powerful question. It's a really powerful question because if you notice, he sets them up for this question with the previous question. First, he asks him, who do other people say is the Messiah? Who's the son of man? Who do people say that is? I mean, he's he's trying to see if their faith is strong, right? And then he says, well, what about you? What do you say about me? Something we're going to ask throughout this series is a question about the questions. This is just deep stuff, deep cuts, right? When you ask a question about a question, that's like straight up inception stuff, all right? And is this, why is that a great question? Why is this question that Jesus asked a great question? Here's why. We often get asked who we are, right? We get asked who we are. And people don't normally walk up to you and just say, who do you think you are? If they do, it's like, who do you think you are? It's really negative. At least that's the way I get it. Um, you guys don't get that. You know, nobody watching online either. Um, it's not positive. Instead, we get these kind of questions Hey, what do you do for a living? Where do you go to school? Hey, where do you live? Are you single? Are you married? Do you have kids? What do you do for fun? Hey, do you, where do you go to church? And these questions, they're all getting at one thing. Who are we? People often define themselves by these list of questions, right, about this. They say, what they do, or are they a student, or are they in a relationship? Are they a mom or a dad? Do they like sports, movies, scrapbooking, whatever? And what do they believe? They base their identity on these things. And so we let other people define who we are as well. They ask us these questions that define them. And so in turn, we use that to define ourselves. Remember, questions will often reveal priorities. I mean, if you ask someone if they're married or dating and you're not married or dating, you're probably trying to figure out if they're like available, right? If you ask someone if where they work and what they do, then maybe you've placed your priority in your career. If you ask someone where they live, you might try to be figuring out, hey, how, much, how big is your house? Where, how much money do you have? Is it better than mine? Jesus is asking, who do you say I am? And this is a pressing question for all of us. This is a question that is time-sensitive. It's future-changing. Who do you say Jesus is? How do you identify Jesus? It makes a difference. Because if you say he's a prophet and that's all, right, then his death doesn't mean anything. If you see Jesus as this judgmental religious person, right, then you will see faith in a harsh way. If you, if you did see Jesus as just about living in a certain way and following a certain set of rules, then you're going to have a hard time accepting grace. The reality is, Jesus has to fall into one of three categories for you He either is a liar, He's a lunatic, or He's the Lord. He has to be one of those things. Look at how the interaction goes on, though. Look at how his disciples respond. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So Simon, who we often know as Simon Peter or just Peter, right? speaks up on behalf of the disciples and he delivers this glorious answer to Jesus' question. I mean, you remember, they're in the middle of a town that's devoted to a pagan God. They are in the midst of like religious leaders rejecting Jesus and talking bad about him. They're in the middle of people having a substandard view of who Jesus is. And Peter announces, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. And he said it with such confidence. Listen, I don't know how to tell you. I I have a hard time having 100% confidence in anything, okay? There's very few things. I'm telling you, I don't even have 100% confidence in myself. I can't tell you that I'm gonna be able to do anything at 100%. I'm only at like 99% sure I'm gonna finish this sermon, okay? I don't know what's gonna happen. I can tell you I don't have confidence in other people, People will let you down. People mess up. Listen, my, we got this Friday, but the one previous, we went to King's Island. I love King's Island. I love my son, Sam, my oldest, loves roller coasters. I love roller coasters too. And I, I believe that King's Island is checking those things, right? That they're making sure those are safe. But I don't have 100% confidence that not something's going to go wrong. That's a little bit of the thrill of it, right? See, Peter was the same in his life. Peter did not have confidence in a lot of things, in everything. He he struggled. You read about Peter throughout Scripture, you're going to find a guy a lot of times in the Gospels of Jesus who, who doubted a lot. He didn't always get it right, but he got it right this time. Jesus is both the Messiah and he is the Son of God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just another way to God. He is the way. He is the Christ, the Son of God. Peter understood that, and that's what we need to do as well. He answers by saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And so Jesus blesses him because he is tapping into something amazing here. Jesus acknowledges, hey, you're a, <laughs> you don't always get it right, man. And so what he does is he gives Simon Peter affirmation. He doesn't say, hey, you're close, almost. Like he doesn't like, you're you're getting there. He says, blessed are you. Jesus gives Simon Peter confidence in his answer. Jesus points out that he was so blessed that he couldn't even have come up with this on his own. Jesus says, this was not revealed by flesh and blood, but it was given to you by my father in heaven. See, only God can reveal this divine truth. This might be a a new thing for you to hear because sometimes we wonder why people don't believe despite all the evidence for who Jesus is. We struggle with why we're not able to convince people into faith, right? We struggle with not being able to do that. And so I'm going to take a little pressure off you right now. That's not your job. It's not your job to do that. We are called to love other people. We're called to disciple other people. We are called to tell them the good news of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to change their heart. We are not called to decide their ultimate fate. We are not called to give them their faith in Jesus. God's got to open the eyes of people to his heavenly truth. We need God, ironically, to help us receive God. Plain and simple. Listen, if you're sitting here today and you don't know what you believe about Jesus, that's for you. There's no amount of learning or proof or arguing that can convince you of who Jesus claims to be. It has to come from God. God is calling you to open your mind, to open your heart to the possibility that Jesus can save. See, understanding does not precede obedience. Sometimes he just asks you to move before you understand why. And just like Peter here, you can be given confidence in who Jesus is and believe that he holds the the key to who you are. Our identity is secure because of Jesus. Because when we continue to read on in this passage, we get down to verse 18, right? Right? This is what Jesus says. He says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This was all about Simon Peter's identity. This was the first time in Matthew's recorded history of Jesus where Jesus specifically starts calling Simon just Peter. And this is important because it points to a change in identity. It points to Jesus asking the question, who do you say I am? He doesn't do this because he needs affirmation. Because here's the truth, Jesus knew who he was. He didn't ask the question to make him believe, he asked it for Peter. He asked it for the disciples. He's aiming to have Peter acknowledge who he is so that he can be confident in who he is following. Jesus wanted Peter to verbalize what he believed, to acknowledge Jesus and to acknowledge his father's authority, his sovereignty over this earth. But beyond that, Jesus wanted this moment with Peter because he knew, what does he say? You would be the rock, right? He would be part of the movement that would start the church. See, Peter, like I said, he struggled with believing. And later at Jesus' arrest, he would struggle with the worst possible thing he could. He denied Jesus three times, just like Jesus foretold. And, he would, and Jesus knew he needed Peter to have confidence in who Jesus was, 100% confidence. And with the power of God, he got it. So why is that important to us, that Peter has this confidence in who Jesus says he is? Because of that big idea, our identity is secure because of Jesus. You see, we all struggle with confidence in our identity, Right? talked about that a little earlier. We let our situation, our place, our friends, our enemies, our mistakes, all this big list of things define who we are. But look what Jesus says. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so that's important. And we think that's often pointed right at Peter. Some people interpret that, that Peter was actually the rock on which the church was built. I mean, Peter, the phrase, the name Peter, is actually defined as rock, right? So it's, we see that that way. And that may be true, but listen, there were other apostles who were part of the beginning of the church. It wasn't just Peter. I think what this refers to is the proclamation that Peter made. That proclamation of you are the Messiah, you are the Savior. And the same can be made through each of us as well. See, Peter proclaimed Jesus as Lord. As the Messiah. And this understanding and this confidence is the rock on which all of the church is built. Our trust in who Jesus is, our faith is the rock on which the church is built. Jesus regularly says through scripture, right? If you see all these places where he heals people and all these things, that our faith is part of the solution. Our identity is wrapped up in who Jesus says that we are. And Jesus says that if we do this, if we believe him, if we proclaim him to other people, then the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's what he says. Listen, the gates of Hades, it could be you know, interpreted as the gates of hell or Sheol as the Jewish people called it. Or it could be the gates of death, right? I mean, in the, in the days that this was spoken by Jesus, it could mean something like the power of death or the power of the grave, right? So in any translation of the phrase, however you translate it, this can discern the meaning that this is neither spiritual darkness, the darkness of the underworld, right? Nor the power of death will be able to stop the work of Jesus through his church. Nothing can stop the power of Jesus, Nothing. That's something I have hundred percent confidence in. See, if we wanna see White Oak Christian Church exercise power over sin and death, we need to submit totally to Jesus and be led by him and the power of, his, of the Holy Spirit. We could be sons and daughters of a king who has authority over this earth. Our identity is secure because of Jesus. Finally, Jesus says at the last part of this scripture in verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what's the deal with the keys, right? Keys, like physical keys, what is this? What what is this binding about, right? Simply put, I think, I believe this pertains to the exclusive saving power of the gospel of Jesus as the apostles and then later the church, the big C church, right? Proclaim the message of Jesus. Those who accept it are saved from their sin. It says that, it's clear. And here's the other thing, the other side of that coin. And those who don't accept it are not saved from their sins. See, that's what, that's what he says. What, if you bind people and they get saved, they are bound in heaven they are bound to go to heaven and if they're not they won't accept it then they're loosed from heaven see the keys of heaven are held in the message and the power of the good news of jesus christ if you accept that then you can be secure in your identity as a son or daughter of god no one can tell you that you're not forgiven you don't have to let your identity be based upon Things of this world So your failures are not going to hold you back. Your, how your kids grow up and, and whether or not they turn out the way that you expect them to is not going to be able to define you as a parent. The success in your career is not going to be the measuring stick for you in this world. Your friendships or romantic relationships that you have don't have to be the things that give you self-worth. The clothes you wear and the way you look and your body image doesn't have to be defined upon what anybody else says about you. Because Jesus looks at you and he thinks you're beautiful. So the last thing we're asking about each of these questions is this, what does this question challenge me to do? What does this challenge me to do? See, Jesus calls us to trust and believe in him, to be given our identity. And the truth is, we need to be confident in who Jesus claims to be because this makes our identity all that much clearer. If Jesus truly is who he claims, the Messiah, then receiving our identity as his sons and daughters can be trusted and affirmed. So you got to ask yourself this question today. It's the most important question you're going to ask Who is Jesus to me? Who is he to me? Listen, if you don't know yet what you believe in Jesus, let me talk to you, okay? You might be here today because someone invited you. You might be here because a spouse dragged you here. I don't know your situation. Maybe you're here because you're looking for kids to find a, your kids to find a place to connect with other kids. Or your kids have come here and they, they dragged you here. Maybe you just walked in the door because you heard about us or you saw us as you drove by. Maybe you're watching online because you were just looking for some place to connect. Whatever the story, you're here for a reason. I believe that you're searching for something. Listen, God is trying to work on you. He wants you to find your identity in him. He wants you to be forgiven, he wants you to be confident in your future. I can't do this for you. No matter what I say up here, no matter what I do, I cannot make that happen for you. But if this is you, I know what I can do. I can pray with you. I can ask God to move in your life. So come find me after service or me or there other people will be down here praying. Come find one of us and pray with us. And if you're here today and you're saying to yourself, yes, I do believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe he is the Messiah. I have 100% confidence in this. And this means something. If you said that and you've not yet chosen to be baptized or, or I'm gonna challenge something here. Maybe you got baptized when you were a kid or maybe when you were born and you don't remember it and you don't know why you did it and it doesn't mean anything to you. You weren't being obedient. You were doing what somebody else told you to do then make that step, go and commit to being obedient and proclaiming that Jesus is the king. And then this has to change the way you live. In your life, you should be working to live in a way that truly shows that you believe Jesus is who he says he is. In your actions and your words, you need to be proclaiming Jesus in your daily life. See, Jesus chose to take our sins, and then last week we celebrated that he rose from the grave. When we believe in him, our identity is secured, we are forgiven, we can have faith in our future. I want you to encourage you, everybody, stick with this series. Come be here for all six weeks of this series. Let the question we ask today and the ones that are going to be following help you navigate and trust God for the answers and the things that he's trying to do in your life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful to be in this place and being able to worship you. As we sung earlier, Lord, you are the same God throughout history. And we get to worship you just like those disciples did thousands of years ago. Lord, today we we need to be secure in who we think you are. We need to know who Jesus is to us And so today, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here who's struggling with that, if they're having problems with letting you into their life, letting your power give them faith, give them confidence, then Lord, you would take whatever roadblock is in the way and remove it. Give them the courage to believe. Thank you, Father, for your son. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.